0: Hi, I'm Dave right. Legere of Woodhall Press, and you're tuned in to Publish This Over Lunch. Uh, a little later in the day uh, and early for our guest, uh, because I'm joined today by Darian Shuji. Darian wrangles stories and children from her home in upcountry Hawaii. Her poems, essays, and short stories have appeared in various literary journals, and her novels have been published by Penguin Random House. Darian uh, Darian is the winner of the 2019 Poetry Society of America Chat Book Fellowship and the 2015 Hawaii Book Publishers, and I'm going to say this (laughs) incorrectly, uh, Ka Palapalo Po'okala? (laughs) Palapala Po'okala. Okay. She's the recipient of a fellowship from the Vermont Studio Center and a grant uh, from the Sustainable Arts Foundation. She has an essay in our forthcoming anthology, Fast Funny Women, called Lesson Plan 1 to 3 on age-dropping, Botox, and being an Asian-American woman at 50. For more information, check her out on uh, www.darieng.com. Whew. All right. Uh, I love I love everything that you're up to. Uh, and I am I was so excited when you said you wanted to be a guest on, on the show because I'm trying to get as many of the contributors from Fast Funny Women to come on the show because everybody just has such a, a unique story, right, of, of how they gotten to where they are as a writer and yep. uh, I'm starting off every every interview lately with uh, would you start us off with something that you found incredibly inspiring in the literary world in 2020 wow 2020
1: right <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> like...
0: because it's so negative right everything
1: is
0: it... like I'm trying to find the hope
1: yeah, I know. It's like flowers over here, dumpster fire over here. No. Um, you know, I have to say the one thing that's been pretty cool, because everything's just been turned upside down, right? Everything's been turned on its head, is I think seeing a lot of writers come out in support of other writers. And I've seen it, especially I'm. it's across the board, but I've seen it a lot in poetry, which is, as you know, one of the least lucrative <laughs> um, genres you could choose if you're a writer. And I've seen so much generosity from the poetry community, you know, um, offering to support writers that can't afford their entry fees for contests or, you know, their submission fees just so that people can keep creating, which I think is really the biggest challenge for any of us in 2020, Um, you know, staying creative and not um, getting bogged down with everything that's happening and, and so on. So... I really appreciate seeing all of that. You know, what do you need? I mean, that's the question that people are asking, what do you need and how can I help? And so I think that writing community is really pulled together from that perspective.
0: Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. I've, I've seen just this outpouring of support and so many uh, zoom book groups forming and writers clubs and everybody is just in some ways, the writing community is more connected than ever. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, heartwarming, uh, and I like seeing it. Uh, so getting to know you a little bit more, because uh, I've, I've actually a lot of my guests I've, I've known before, you know, like I've, I've talked to, or at least have met in some circles, but this is our first time actually meeting despite uh, me working on the book, right? That you're, you're <laughs> featured in. So uh, all the just emails. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, right. Like, uh, just uh, what's an early experience you had that taught you that language has power, right? It's kind of like that, question that I'm always curious about, you know, someone like yourself, who's just made a career out of writing, when did you realize that, that there was a a strength in it?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, because um, the, I guess the incident that comes to mind is kind of an odd one, which is that I was in second or third grade, I was in elementary school in Houston, Texas. And we were lining up after recess to go back into the classroom and some kid behind me like said a swear word, he said a bad word, he said the S word, right? So because I was in second and third grade, a bit of a tattletale apparently and like, or just whatever, you know, teacher pleaser, Asian stuff, right? So I was like, I raised my hand, she called on me, we're still outside and I'm like, he said a bad word, he said, and I said the word, right? I don't know. Are we censored on Instagram? I have no. So anyways, it's, anyways it's the S word. It's thing. yeah. so I said, shit, he said shit. And it was like, time froze. It was, it was, and I've never, and, you know, this was back in the early 70s, right? It's like, we just didn't swear then, mid 70s. We just didn't really, it, it's not like now, where every other word is a swear word, um, or the S word, especially this year. But, so it was like, it was one of those moments where the birds stopped chirping, that kind of thing. The wind died down, and everybody looked at me and my teacher looked at me. And you know, looking back at that, there's probably something not just in the word, because certainly words themselves can have an impact because I hadn't done anything, right, my own physical actions were the same, I was standing in the same spot. But I said this one word that just caused a response. And I'm Mm. sure too, there was a disconnect for my teacher, and my classmates, right, seeing me, female, we're not really a girl, a young girl, we don't really swear at that time. I'm Asian American, probably, I think I was one of the only Asian-Americans in my class, much less in the school, actually. And so I'm sure there was something like, well, oh, that was really weird and unexpected. And I think that's when I kind of realized, I, for a long time, I thought it was just because it was a bad word. And then I realized it's just about words. It's just about how language can evoke a response, positive and negative. We're seeing a lot of that too in 2020. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was sort of my first subliminal, like, okay, there's something with all this, you know, there's something with how we say things and what we choose to say.
0: I love that. And especially that idea that the the words, right, can evoke a response. Uh, You know, I'm I'm always a fan of, like, I read a lot of, you know, um, uh, fantasy. I read everything. But Mm -hmm. one of the things I always appreciate is modern writers, how they realize, you know, the power of just saying somebody's name right across a room, even if it's just they'll immediately turn. There is a power in words uh, and language. So that's 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 interesting.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting just what you're saying too about the power of naming something, right? I mean, that's kind of going off on a totally different tangent, but yeah. I think that that's and the whole sci fi kind of thing. I mean, the one thing that's cool about people who do a lot of world building is they create a lot of their own words, right? So oh, there's yeah. oh, words yeah. that we're encountering that we don't even know, and you can just feel, right? If it works, you're like, yeah, yeah that's like a yeah, cool word right. or an intense word. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's something about it to do with uh, naming. And language, and of course, shit. You know, just uh, yeah. growing up, I still recall uh, "sucks." I thought was a swear for the longest <laughs> time. Now, now everybody, it's everybody's. I know. Everybody's it's yesterday's news, casual.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yesterday's news. All right. So, you know, you're this prolific writer in multiple arenas, and now you've launched uh, a nine month guided micro memoir publishing program, which I'm so excited about because, uh, you know, Woodhall Press has yeah. dipped our toe into our first Micro Memoir with uh, A Perfect Facebook Life uh, coming out this October by A.J. O'Connell. And I wonder why Micro Memoir and why now? How did you like, when you, right. said, when you said that I was like Micro Memoir because I,
1: I thought we were like the only ones kind of really playing with this right now. <laughs> right, well, you know, I think I think, you know, sort of one of the cousins, Flash, right? I mean, I think there's always been this interest in How can you distill something into a really, really short piece? Uh, For me, it feels really relevant because I am always about trying to get more people to have an experience of writing, and especially telling life stories. And I know that for some, writing a full-length memoir, you know, with a huge narrative arc and doing all that, it's just it's out of their wheelhouse, especially if they're older. And micro memoirs, in my view, is twofold. You know, for the for the writer, it's a way to get into a moment you know, distill it down to, you know, the emotional truth or whatever it is that you want to resonate in that moment. You can work on the piece and then you can get out. I mean, fairly quickly. You don't have to wait, you know, nine months to have a draft. And then you can go on to the next micro memoir and you can sort of string a collection together like that um, in a way. And it can still be bound thematically. There's so many ways to do it. But um, and I define micro memoir. There's a lot of different definitions on word count with this. I pretty much I'm really loose with this. I pretty much say it's anything from literally a single sentence to a max of about I would say somewhere around the 250 300 range but I am loose with it for the memoir line we're saying that you know these are the exercises we're giving you they're timed exercises or they're bound by word count if you want to make it into something longer you can but if you do the program and you do these micro memoirs you'll have a book at the end of this nine-month period um, and wow. so I think for writers, it's just a way in, you know, it's like, how can I help you get in and get in quickly and you're not overthinking and you're not obsessing. And then for readers, as you, you know, probably know this too, it's great because you can just dip your toe in, right. You can, you can open it up actually anywhere and be like, have this experience and then put it back down. And, um, there's this, uh, Chinese phrase, I mean, in China, they have this thing too. It's called, there's a, a lit journal called, um, smoke long quarterly. And the idea was that they had these really small stories that you could you could read in the in the time it would take you to smoke a cigarette, or drink a cup of tea. No, seriously, right. So that's, I mean, that's great. It's like, who wants to, you know, and then I think, you know, people have said to me too, oh, is it because we have such a short attention span these days? And everything's like a Twitter feed and 144 characters or 240 characters. And I think there's definitely some of that. But for me, it's really from the storytelling angle, the idea of Let's start to look and put like a magnifying glass on these cool or difficult or curious moments and spend some time there. But we don't have to spend a lot of time there. We don't have to spend a year there on one piece. So,
0: Well, the, the dipping the toe in the water, right? That's, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, um, as a teacher, I see the biggest barrier to entry is it scares people, right? If you're not Absolutely. an avid reader, you see mm-hmm. a thick book, you go, I can't touch that. Yeah. But if you see micro memoir, or even just short stories, people love short story yeah. collections, you can dive in at any point, and you go on in a complete emotional journey, and you can do it maybe
1: 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and it's wonderful. Well, <laughs> you know, I just I also feel, you know, so it also helped a lot that I'm partnering with a local publisher here, whose mm-hmm. their whole thing is telling life stories, uh, Watermark Publishing. And that, I think, especially in this day and age with coronavirus, I don't know that I could have actually had the wherewithal to see this through, develop this program, if it wasn't for having a really good partner. And that goes back to this whole 2020, like what's happening with writers and what's happening in the writing community. And I think these opportunities to build connections and to creatively collaborate, you know, I mean, it's, it's a fun thing. It's a lot of work, but it's tremendously fun. And, you yeah. know, we have the same mission, which is to help people tell their stories. And so, you know, we, uh, you know in Hawaii, there's a very long history of oral, of oral storytelling right and i actually believe that some stories are not meant to be written down you know i think there is a belief that we should try to get every single story down and i've talked to a lot of kapunas you know elders in our community who are like yeah not all stories are meant to be told to be written down they're just meant to be given from one person to another specifically orally but mm. there of the stories i know it's a really it's a really powerful concept it shifted a lot of things for me when they said that um but i still think though that there's room for capturing what we can and so that's again just one way in
0: so if anybody is this program open like if anybody's mm-hmm. you know listening and they're interested in getting more into these micro memoirs is there some place they should go or is it your
1: website <laughs> well i haven't launched it yet it's going to be the first cohort it's <laughs> going to start in october so we're planning by the end of this month early so it's kind of like a early talk about it but um early september we're going to have stuff up so it'll be on my website i'll definitely I'm be sorry. making an announcement in my newsletter um, you know, we talk about it's, you know, it's open to anyone and you can use it. You, there's a, there's two versions, one where you get a developmental edit from me after you get your manuscript done and another, and you do a couple check-ins with me one-on-one. And the other one is where you just, you know, you just self propel through the program based on what your timing is. So, and then submit at the end. And it does go into publication. It's just not a writing program. It's actually from prompt yeah. to publication. Oh, I, oh, I love that. That That's so, pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't even use that. That'll be Whoa. the slogan. Yeah, really. <laughs> good. Actually, I think our slogan is from memory to memoir. But that was another <laughs> one that I did when I was like, "Oh, too much caffeine." That? Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> you notice? Anyways, uh, uh, coffee. I pretty much just stay fueled <laughs> on caffeine. It's just endless. I threat. know.
1: I have my coffee. Uh, my my tea. Yeah. <laughs>
0: all right. So, um, you know, this writing career, I'm I'm most curious, you've started after you moved to the Big Island of Hawaii, which in itself is just, I'm sure that's a a story in and of itself, right, to go from San Francisco (laughs) to Hawaii, but how important is movement in writing, right, and how has that impacted your own writing, because you just did this dramatic leap, and then all of a sudden, that was when it sounds like you hit your stride as a writer, so what do you think?
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) you're gonna laugh when you hear this, so Okay, so, you know, uh, to be to just clarify, when we moved to Hawaii, we were leaving our corporate jobs behind. My husband, and I both had corporate jobs before. Um, I used to be a tax manager with Pricewaterhouse. I did some consulting. So I had this other kind of life. Um, And I did do writing that. I mean, I've been writing since fourth grade and telling stories. And I actually did have a manuscript that I finished a novel. I actually did get an agent for it. And then I got cold feet. And I put it in the drawer. I didn't sign the contract. I still have it. It's like, 25 years old now I still have a copy mm. of that because I, I use it in my workshops when I'm teaching people about queries oh. and cold feet I just self-sabotage that's in oh. a nutshell what happened I just didn't feel oh. confident then we moved to Hawaii we started we have three kids uh, we moved when I was seven months pregnant and what I tell people is around year four we were so broke I mean we were hugely massively broke and I said you know I know I can write a book that will sell I mean it It'll be a mid-list book. It'll be, you know, Chiclet at the time was really big. I said, I think I can write a book like this and it'll sell. And um, it wasn't my first book, which was more literary. And, I, and we just, I just didn't have time to get it my own way. That's really what it comes down to, David. So it's less about the movement and more about desperation. And I always tell people, don't confuse desperation with inspiration. They actually work hand-in-hand. And, and I think the great thing for writers about desperation, and you don't want too much of it because it's exhausting, Um, Mm -hmm. But it does help you get out of your own way because I do think that writers overthink things. I think uh, we worry a lot about what other people think. We think we're not good enough. I mean, just the whole thing that always comes with a creative life. You just have a, Mm -hmm. you just are very good at, at that second guessing. And so we just didn't have that luxury. We like seriously needed cash. I was like doing two or three jobs. My husband was doing two or three jobs. And we were trying to do, you know, live a more authentic life. And it was just, but so that's actually what launched us was, that first book that I wrote under Mia King, sold to Berkeley Books, which is an imprint from from Random House. And it kind of went down that trajectory for a while where I was just like, you know, producing and not having time to think about it, I was on deadline. And you know, that really worked for me. And I will say though, that it wasn't like I just started writing in Hawaii. Like I said, I've been writing before. And my biggest teacher really was reading. I mean, I wasn't an English major. I didn't have an MFA then. I actually got my MFA at 50, right? Um, which is what pivoted me into the poetry um, and I you know I so I was a big reader and I, I never stopped reading and that's always what I tell people I'm like you know just read I mean find the stuff that you like to read and that's 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 just where you start so that was the, it for me but on the issue of moving around I actually think it's good to get uncomfortable I think it's yeah. good to put yourself in a situation where you have to creatively think or pivot That's like my phrase of the year creatively you know creative pivot um you know what what am i going to do with this like okay so this maybe didn't work out or maybe i'm in some place different i need to adjust now what right and i think that's actually healthy for for writers i actually tell my students now don't quit your day job to write your novel you know i you know it's just you need to be in the world and it it helps to be in the world when you're especially if you're a novelist but i think for any kind of writer especially
0: you know, which strikes me as a piece of advice my mom had given me many years ago that always sticks in my head, which is uh, if you're uncomfortable doing something, then you know you're probably on the right path, right? Like as soon as you're comfortable, mm-hmm. move on. Like whether it's your job, whatever it is, don't get comfortable, right? That right. That, little, that little bit of uncomfortability is uh, so important, uh, And people don't like it, right? Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. I mean,
1: well, I don't like being uncomfortable. I mean, you know, (laughs) I'm all for ease. And I just, I do think it goes in seasons. I mean, I do think you're going to have months, especially if you're in a manuscript. I mean, there are manuscripts that I've put aside, like really good manuscripts that I put aside for a a year or two because I just, it just wasn't the right time for me to move through it. I mean, that's just how that goes. So I have been patient with uh, myself. I'm always anxious, but I'm patient with myself when. The writing doesn't come in the way I want it to come, and, um, and I'm uncomfortable with it. So I will sit with the discomfort, but I won't necessarily try to, you know, shoehorn my work.
0: You know, I read an article on this. It was, it's the concept that actually uh, procrastination is good for us. It's creative. It's finding the yeah, right balance. Yeah, I read balance. that, too. Yeah. Right? Did you see, I think it was in the New York Times or something, and it was that well, whole idea that a little procrastination is a good thing.
1: You know, I think uh, things are always cooking. I think if you have a writer's mind, if you're curious, if you're trying to figure yeah. things out in your life or in the in the world in general, if you're like, wow, that's really interesting or you do the whole as a novelist, I wonder what would happen if, right? I think it's I think it's really good to have that percolating kind of time. And I think for my poetry, I'm especially noticing that that I have to carve out some kind of weird quiet space where um I'm sitting with it and sitting with the work. And mm-hmm. it's hard for me because I'm I am a doer and want to get things done and hit my deadlines and then create another deadline. And, you know, see that commercial aspect of the writing.
0: (laughs) And Yeah, anybody listening, pick up on that tip. Because I often ask, you know, what's the secret Mm -hmm. of uh, successful writers, and you kind of hit it that you have that drive, right? And You're always kind of going and thinking and planning. And it's that it's that something that keeps people going forward. I've I've seen that. uh, And it's really important. Yeah, so, and, and you mentioned like holding on, you held onto a manuscript you still haven't even published. Oh, so. Okay, yeah. This, this idea of holding on to your work, right, for a later date, organizing mm-hmm. it like you just mm-hmm. mentioned, being being so great, waiting for the moments, but one day you said, right, you were saying that you were
1: done with that, like no more, you well, changed, but what changed? It's two things, so one is like, there's times when the work just needs to sit. I mean, there's just like no way about it, right? You, you haven't found a way in, you're trying, it's not happening. And you just sometimes just need to take a step away. So that's one thing. But the other thing that I think we were talking about was this idea that sometimes you have like, especially with poetry or even in the novel, you know, you have this really great scene or this really great poem. You're like, oh my God, that's so good. I'm going to submit that to the New Yorker as soon as I'm done with this, that or the other. And you, in the meantime, are working on other books or you are even working on other poetry collections and you're saving this small pile of really excellent work here or excellent phrases or excellent scenes or excellent moments on the side because you're like, it's so good. And I just have to save it for the right moment. And I just, you know, I've always known the Annie Dillard, you know, quote about just like spend it all, shoot it all, just do it now. And you just basically are trusting <laughs> that the well is gonna fill up again. And I guess yeah. I'm kind of like, well, maybe, I mean, in theory, I agree, but if it doesn't fill up, I wanna have my little stash of really excellent work over here. And <laughs> um, with honestly with 2020 and, and probably, you know, when I turned fifty, which, by the way, that essay is now two years old because I'm now fifty-two. <laughs> but you know, when that when that happened, and I think with everything that's happening with the pandemic, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I have this um, this essay collection coming out, and I was I had saved a couple pieces that I didn't want to include in it because, again, oh, I could use it somewhere later. And I just kind of said, you know, f it, it's going in. I'm moving on, and I'm just going to hope that the well fills up. And in that weird way that things happen when you surrender, it was like the next day I sat down to write and I had this whole other idea for a brand new job. I mean, it was just like, OK, well, there you go. And I think that there's a big thing that we need to do that's a mix of surrendering, but still paying attention, right? Because giving up is, in my view, is not totally the same thing as surrendering. It's, a, it's, mm-hmm. so, it's such a fine line. Giving up is like, uh, it's almost like you're like, I'm over it. I'm done with it. I'm not doing this anymore where surrendering is just kind of like, this thing is greater than me, or it's bigger than me, I'm just gonna say, you know, take it. And what do you want me to do with it? And if you want me to do something with it, I will. But if you don't, and I don't know who you're speaking to, you could be speaking to the muse, to God, if whatever your faith is, Buddha, you know, the universe, but you're just doing that, that very internal action of just saying, I, I'm not sure what else to do with this. I don't know what else I can do. So show me what you need me to do with this, or I'm, I'll put it aside. So you are just surrendering your control over it. But you're not being like, I'm over it. Just forget it. Dumpster done, right? You're just so (laughs) it's a little bit different for me with that. But that's, that's been this year has been surrender, letting go of work that I've been kind of hoarding like this is my better work. I'm just gonna put it out there and just keep moving on. Yeah.
0: I think I could do an entire piece just on surrender versus quitting. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> that's that's, yeah. that's such a, that could be a book in itself. Uh, allowing yourself to surrender to things—it's not quitting. Um, and you know, I, as I you know read more about your, your accomplishments, one of the things that just keeps getting to me is that you've done fiction, nonfiction, and poetry successfully. It's so hard. To navigate between these things and oh, you know I, I started as a poet and that was my earliest work and then I you know went into non-fiction and then fiction but I can't just go like I can't go back now and it's because like I I sit there I'm like okay poetry and like but I, it's like almost <laughs> like something in my brain shifted and it's like I, I'm I have difficulty now with it and I'm and I, what's your secret how are you able to kind of ride between these various things
1: You know, I think, like I said, I, uh, well, you know, and also I do want to say, David, I mean, you may not feel like you can go back to your poetry today, but tomorrow might be a whole nother thing. I mean, I think that's, that's That's the thing about writing. And I think that's the surrender part, right? Where you kind of go, what am I supposed to do with this? I mean, I've seen pieces where I'll tell people, you know, I think you need to put this into a poem. And they're like, well, I'm not a poet. I'm like, you know what? Just drop the label. Just try to put this in what you understand is some kind of poetic form. And you don't have to go and learn anything really complicated. Just just try to shift the form right and I think this form shifting which is probably what also brought me to the micro memoir program of you know of teaching writing is this idea that you know how do you can you shift what you're working on and maybe find a better form or a different story or you understand a little bit differently so I kind of feel like it's this I, I guess I don't see the lines as clearly for myself I actually mm-hmm. started out writing short stories and plays when I was much yo- much younger I mean I wasn't I had some short stories published, but that was my thing. I thought I was going to be a playwright. I mean, like who does plays these days, but that's what I really wanted to do. And then I, I moved to the novel form because I, I love to read novels. And also because I knew I could write a novel. I just sort of felt that internally. I never had confidence in uh, poetry and I still feel very mm, uncomfortable. I mean, talking about you know discomfort and uncomfortable, um calling myself a poet you know and that that's where I even get weird when I have to call myself an author I'm fine with the label writer um but author and novelist and poet it's weird and and you know I, I I feel like there are so many um good poets out there that I feel intimidated quite frankly to sort of be in that camp um and at the same time where I've given myself some freedom is just to Basically, I just say, you know, I'm going to learn whatever I can and I'm going to keep writing and then I'm just going to work with whatever form this particular story or this, if it's a memoir, memory or this idea, if it's a novel, wants to be. Right. And I think that's the cool thing about the past few years is we're seeing so many different ways that people are telling stories. I mean, in fiction, you know, they're doing you can you can link a bunch of these micro memoirs, but as you know, flash pieces and create a whole novel from it. I mean, there's just so many, and, and, and I think readers are more tolerant in a way that they weren't years ago where they really just needed to see that long form novel with you know three acts and there's this whole arc and the whole hero's journey, which I love that stuff. I'm a sucker for that stuff. But now when I see something like people go, well, I don't know if I can do this. I go, here's the bottom line. It just has to work. It either works or it doesn't work. And so if oh, you have something like and it's, no, if you have something and it's way <laughs> out there and it's crazy, but it works, I'm no. like, it works. And if you follow somebody's script for how you write a novel and it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I know that's super vague. I do give my clients more <laughs> feedback than that. <laughs> it works or doesn't work. But but that's really it what it comes down cool. to. I know. So I guess with the with the poems, what I'm try what I try to do now, and I don't keep a regular schedule because I do have three kids and two of them are still at home and um I am trying to do uh, a poem in the morning. I will read some poetry. Um, I'm a very pedestrian reader. I don't do a lot of classical stuff. I did when I was in in high school, but I, um, I don't choose to do that right now. And I start my day with that and to read a poem and to write a poem and I'm in and out. It is a timed deal. I'm in and out. And then I'll go to whatever work I have for the day. That's usually longer pieces of writing or putting together the program or my food blog, which is another, which is actually my pseudo day job right now with the pandemic. So, or the kids. All right, my family. So,
0: <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, i I'm impressed, and I like, I, I, think anybody listening, pay attention to the, to the dedication aspect of setting aside time each morning, right, to do it. And even if you don't like what you've done, you've still done something. And each day, try to do, yeah, uh, something. Uh, and I think I'm going to attempt to do some poetry uh, tonight. I'll do something. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll Mm -hmm. be something. Um, All right. So last three things. I think you kind of already said this, but coffee or tea sounds like you might be tea. What do you think?
1: Well, what (laughs) I do is I start my day with green tea, mostly because my husband makes it. He's up at four. So he leaves, he leaves a a thing for me. So I'd start with tea and then I chase it with coffee. Usually (laughs) usually, (laughs) I I know I'd actually love to give up the coffee because probably (laughs) I'm probably over caffeinated, but I like coffee and I like cold coffee. I love cold brew. So that's usually, so I'm both. Like, I I guess, like with everything. Yeah. Yeah. um, (laughs) What's
0: one quote, motto, song? What gets you out of bed each day and helps you embrace everything? What is it? Oh my gosh.
1: You're so optimistic. I love how you assume that, like, people just roll out of bed. I mean, I like lay there, especially with the concept. Like, I do not want to get up. What's the point? Um, all right, you know the one thing that I, I know one quote that is I think guided me literally since I was I was in New England for high school. I was on the East Coast for that time, and I'm not sure when I came a- around it, but definitely by the time I started high school, it was in my in my mind is the T.S. Eliot quote about "We shall not we shall not cease from exploration." Um, except to arrive at the place where we began and know that place for the first time. And, you know, that's just my way, I guess, of being like, you know what, there's just, weird... I still don't know what's going to happen in the day. I still don't know what's left for me. I still am very, very curious and always in a place of inquiry. And that gives me permission to keep doing it until I recognize where I am, you know, and, and what I'm doing here. So.
0: That's good. And, and lastly, um, for anybody listening, uh, one, you know, parting piece of advice or tip for any, you know, especially aspiring writers, is there anything you'd say to them right now?
1: Well, as much as I I will say, yeah, if you don't sit down, you're not and you don't write, then you don't have any writing. At the same time, I don't always keep a morning practice. I have, I have gone literally for years where I haven't been able to do it for different reasons. I actually don't believe in writer's block, but I do believe in resistance and I do believe in procrastination, I do believe in fear. And so um, I think that I think you have to always be kind to yourself. I think in whatever way that you can get some external support, it would be great. I'm not big on editors, but I'm big on taking a class or reading a book or, you know, just doing something that gives you a chance to keep seeing words on a page. And that's just where I'd be. But I'd say especially now to just really still be kind to yourself, um, but try to do a little bit of something that's going to, be creative because you're going to feel good if you do
0: well i couldn't agree more uh thank you again for being Thanks. here uh, be sure to check out uh darian shuji on uh, www.dariang.com and if you have any questions email me at david at uh yeah thank you again this was this was excellent Thanks.